You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Super excited to uh, teach from this very, very famous passage with one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. Uh, but I almost feel like I should just pray after Trish shared and we should just close down the service and just start singing some more worship songs. That would be certainly appropriate, and I'll make sure we leave time uh, to do that because we're here to worship God together. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amazing verse of scripture that we get to look at today. Uh, before we do, I do see some visitors here, so I want to introduce myself. My name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown, and so really glad that you're here uh, joining us this morning. We really aim to be a place where you feel free to join us in, in everything that we're doing. You're welcome here no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. I hope that you've already had a good time meeting uh, some people and have been greeted well, something that we do well as a church, I think. And so if you haven't been with us, you know that today we're in, in week number seven of an eight-week series called Come and See. And what we're doing is we're looking at the biblical narratives about the life of Jesus, but then we're actually all watching this TV series called The Chosen that depicts many of the things that we read in Scripture. And so we're getting this wonderful blend of reading the Scriptures and talking about them together in our small groups, watching the episode and seeing how it's portrayed in the episode, and talking about it here on Sunday morning. And so it's going to be really fun to talk about this very famous passage. I just want to remind us again of why we're doing this, the whole hope of what we have in, in doing this Come and See series and watching The Chosen together is that we would actually be drawn more to Jesus, that we would see him and the words would come more alive as we see it on the screen. Our hearts and affections would grow, that we would want to be with Jesus so that we can become like him and then we can do the things that he did. And today's passage is called, uh, we're titling it, Born of the Spirit. It's a scripture where Jesus talks about the mysterious role of the Holy Spirit and then really the process of how the Holy Spirit works. So if you're a note taker, those are the two points for today, the mysterious role of the Holy Spirit and then the process by which the Holy Spirit works. And as we've said time and time again, if you have been watching the series along with us, we know that The Chosen takes great creative liberty in the backstories of the people that are there. And so this particular episode took a lot of liberty in the backstory of Nicodemus and Matthew. And so today we're actually going to focus primarily on Nicodemus. And they don't, it's not unfounded because you're going to see from the very first verse that I read here in a second that Nicodemus was curious. And the curiosity that you see him develop as he's investigating Jesus and he sees certain things happening, he's really curious and wants to have this one-on-one -on -one meeting with Jesus. Don't you all like the way Nicodemus is portrayed? Do you really love his character? I mean, it seems so genuine, even though he's caught up in you know, such a high, high position of religious leadership. He's willing to question everything, and God's doing some things in his life that is kind of wrecking his worldview and making him want to ask certain questions. Now, we don't know if that's true about the backstory of Nicodemus, but we do know that the first thing that he said when he came to Nicodemus, or came to Jesus in that meeting at night, he said this in John 3, 2. He said to Jesus, at night, or he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. So whether as it was depicted in the story, it was the story of Mary's healing, someone that in, the, in the, the chosen episode, he could not heal Mary, and then all of a sudden he sees that Mary is in her right mind and well, and he's just curious, like, who has the power to do this? Or maybe he really did witness the healing of the paralytic that we talked to. Whichever healing it was that he witnessed, he witnessed something enough to know that Jesus, like, teacher, I know you were from God because people can't do the miracles that you've done. That was what got him curious in the first place. 
And one of the things I love that was portrayed in The Chosen, that when you watch the episode, is when he comes in and you start speaking to him, he says, you know, how did, you, how did this thing happen with Mary? I saw her. I tried to heal her. I couldn't do it, but you could. And I love this one line that Jesus said to him. He said, you were meant to be there. Y'all remember that? You were meant to be there. And while that's not scriptural, you'll see from the passage that we talk about today about how the Holy Spirit works, the Holy Spirit leads us into lots of you were meant to be there. And so Jesus very well could have said that. Have you all had any of those? You were meant to be there experiences? I love it. Maybe you experienced something like the presence of God in an unexplainable way. Maybe you had a meant to be here moment when something happened that you can never unsee. Or maybe you had a meant to be there moment when you were completely, uh, your worldview was just shattered in what you thought about something. Or maybe you had a meant to be there moment when the sovereign hand of God turned something terrible in your life and turned it into something good, or maybe you had a meant-to-be-there moment when you had a conversation with someone that you knew, that conversation, that was the very voice of God speaking to you. Like those are, you were meant-to-be-there moments. And that's where I want to start today, because that's the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. There's moments when God will blow your mind and reveal himself to you in a powerful way, and that is the work of the Spirit, as mysterious as it is, and that's how Jesus begins to talk to Nicodemus about the Spirit. Now, we know about Nicodemus that as he approached Jesus at night, I like the way that they portrayed it, that it had to be the secret meeting because they're trying to protect Jesus. Whatever the reason was, it may have been shame on his part, not wanting to be seen by the other religious leaders, but they have this nighttime meeting. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to speak to him. He wanted to understand what his kingdom was like and if this could maybe be the Messiah. Nicodemus, you know, was very well educated, so he knew the scriptures. He knew what signs to look for, and he wanted to meet and what I think about Nicodemus, at least portrayed in a thing, in, a, in The Chosen, but could also be true, was he's approaching it from a very intellectual way. He knows the scriptures. He's trying to find the answers. But what he really needs is something to happen in his spirit, not just his mind. And so when Jesus begins to speak to him, after he says, I know that you're a teacher and you've done miracles, Jesus puzzles him with this first metaphor. He gives him multiple metaphors we're going to look at. The first one in verse 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can, come, can see the kingdom of God unless they've been born again. How can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus said. Surely he can't enter a second time into the mother's womb but be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus right from the start that the kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. You must be born again to enter the kingdom. What you need is not just something with your head. You need a supernatural encounter with a spirit. The Spirit has to be the one that changes your life. It says you cannot see the kingdom unless you've been born again. You can't be born again unless you're born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying a couple things uh, by using this illustration. One thing, he's saying that we are actually all spiritual human beings, that we have a spirit, that we're not just body, we're not just our mind, that we actually have a spirit side of us. And that's what makes us unique compared to all creation that God made, that we actually have a spirit that can actually work and talk with God and be in relationship with him, because his spirit says, communes, or speaks with our spirit. But the second thing, and the more important thing here this morning that this speaks to, is the fact that we need our spiritual eyes to be illumined in order to see Jesus. We need the supernatural work, the mysterious work of the spirit, to open our eyes so that we can see him, because no one can see who he is unless the spirit has worked on them. One of the more common phrases that Jesus uses, and then his followers actually use it multiple times throughout the New Testament, is this idea of spiritual blindness. 
that there was lots of spiritual blindness that was keeping people from seeing Jesus, that now even Nicodemus, now he's seeing him. He's got this face-to-face encounter, but is he seeing what he should be seeing? Not until the Holy Spirit could work and give him the spiritual eyes to see what he needed to see. Let me give you a couple examples. This is uh, why Jesus taught in parables. The disciples pull him aside and say, hey, why do you teach in parables? In Matthew 13, he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing and ever understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have their closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. See, many of Jesus' people that he spoke to, they were, they were spiritually blind. They could see, they could hear, but they're only seeing and hearing in the physical realm. They're not having the supernatural work of the Spirit that illumined them to see Jesus for who he was. And that's what he's saying has to happen for someone to be born again. Nicodemus arranged to see Jesus, and he saw him face to face, but he didn't see, at least at this point in his life, what he was really meant to see. Or think of the time that uh, Peter actually gets it right. You know, Nicodemus and the disciples are all all along the way trying to figure out who Jesus is. And finally, we read in Matthew 16, where, where he actually poses a question to his followers, like, who do you say that I am? And Peter nails it. He's like, you are the Messiah. Amazing point in the Gospels and in the story. But do you remember what Jesus said to him? Afterward, he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. See, Jesus knew that this revelation that Peter had, he gave him eyes to see, but it wasn't just in his natural realm that he was able to come to see it. He needed the work of the Father. He needed the work of the Spirit to open him to see exactly who Jesus was. Or even a few chapters later in the book of John, Jesus is going to say this, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Whether you know it or not, whether you know it or not, and I know many of you know it, there's a supernatural backstory to all who follow Jesus. There's something that the Holy Spirit was doing behind the scenes to work with your spirit to make you born again and to open your eyes that you could see Jesus for who he was. That's why our faith in Jesus requires a supernatural work of the spirit. One guy who was very spiritually blind would be the Apostle Paul, extremely blind, right? So blind that he won't receive Jesus. He goes out and kills other Christians because of it. And he's starting to persecute the church until he has a, you are meant to be there moment. And God gets his attention by actually making him blind and knocking him off of his path and revealing himself. And in one moment, his life has changed. He's born again because God did the work to open his eyes spiritually that he could see Jesus for who he was. And when he thinks about conversion and he's talking about the process of what the Spirit does, he writes this when he's talking to the church of Corinth. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. You see that? There are spiritual forces of evil that are blinding us, that keep us from seeing who he is. And what we're basically missing and seeing is the actual glory of Christ. That's what is preventing us from seeing. That's what God wants to reveal to us. That's what the enemy wants to hide from us. He goes on to say about what he preaches. We don't preach about ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as his servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory displayed in the face of Christ. What we need is what we needed, what God had to do in creation, where he spoke light out of darkness. He did the same thing in our hearts for those of us who put our faith in him. He spoke into our hearts and opened us up. Let us see the light and come to him. 
That's why he's so worthy of his praise in the way that he has sought us and he's kindly given us these mysterious, had to be there, meant to be there moments. That's what God does. So the first thing I'd say about the mystery of the work of the Spirit is that it's supernatural. We need it outside in. The Spirit has to illumine our eyes to who Jesus is. Second thing I'll say about the mystery of the Spirit is that it's surprising. It's surprising. It'll surprise you. And that's what Jesus uses as a second metaphor now, not being born again, but this metaphor of wind. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asks. Your Israel's teacher said, Jesus, you don't understand these things? The Spirit's work in our life is surprising, which is why he uses the second metaphor of wind. I really liked in the chosen the way that they did it. They didn't do it kind of word for word, but he, but he asked him. You remember Jesus asked him, like, wait, what do you hear? He says, I guess I hear wind. Well, where, where, how do you know? I feel it. I feel its effects. I hear it. And he says, so it is with the Spirit. As the Spirit surprises us and it gives us effects we know of his presence. It's, uh, I found it coincidental that I was actually writing this uh, part of the sermon during uh, a trip to Dallas. I was in Dallas this last weekend. My mom had surgery and was helping her recover from surgery. And on Friday, I heard it was actually really windy here too. I know because there was a bunch of stuff in my yard when I got back. But there, I'm sitting at the window working, literally writing this part, dwelling and trying to think about how do you communicate about the wind of the Spirit when my, my next door neighbor, my mom's next door neighbor's shed goes flying over my, <laughs> over my yard into the other neighbor's yard. And it sounded like a crack of lightning, and it looked like lightning because this big silver thing just flew over there. And I'm like, okay, wind is very surprising. <laughs> you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. That's what he's saying the Spirit is like, but the Spirit will surprise us, and he'll lead us to these meant-to-be-there moments. You know, I love, love, love hearing testimonies. I loved hearing what, what Trish said. And the reason that I love testimonies is because everyone is different. Because that's what God does. The Spirit surprises us. And we can all point to periods of our life where the Spirit surprised us and revealed himself to us. And it's just different for every single person. I love hearing people's testimonies. Some of you, I think, would say that you were surprised by the Spirit in a time of terrible tragedy. Some of you, I think, would say you were surprised by the Spirit by an amazing, moving time of worship where you just felt the presence of God and knew that he was near. Some of you have been surprised by the Spirit through the love of a close friend, and you felt God's love through them. Some of you were surprised by the Spirit through a powerful sermon, and you felt like someone was reading your mail, and that was meant directly for you. Some of you have been surprised by the Spirit in a time of just deep groaning and prayer or weeping. Some of you have been surprised by the Spirit after witnessing God's deliverance or healing in your life. Like, that's the wind of the Spirit and the way the Spirit surprises us and moves through us. And one of the things I do enjoy about watching The Chosen is the creative license that they take with all the characters. Because you see that all the characters are so different. And as, because they're different, God's going to use His Spirit and use Jesus to meet them in very different ways. And He does the same thing for us. When I think of a wind of the Spirit moments, I could point to several episodes in my life. I could point to many people that I've been a part of their wind of the Spirit moment in their lives. But one that I thought about this week, um, because it doesn't end well, it made me sad, but at the time was a very happy story. I had a friend named Jordan, and Jordan grew up in a very atheistic home, worldview, very far from God. Yet all along his path, God put Christians in his life, everywhere that he went. And at this period of life, he was involved in my life. And while he hated the church and hated Christians for the most part, for some reason he liked me and he liked my buddy named Charles, and we would meet 
together and study the Bible, and our hope was that he would one day see Jesus, would be illumined, and would want to follow Jesus with us. As we're getting to learn more about Jordan, um, he told us about his conversion experience from atheism to theism, that for him, he was uh, camping by himself in the middle of a desert, and he had this dream, a very, very, very vivid dream that God was dangling him on a string between heaven and hell. And he says, that's it. That's what made him believe in, in God, that there is a God. So he became a theist after that. We tried to start reading a book called Case for Christ Together, which really lays out some real you know, good arguments for why we should put our faith in Christ. But as we started reading that book, he hated it. He's like, I don't want to discuss this anymore. I don't believe any of this. And it doesn't make a difference to me if, if you try to argue, argue anything. And I said, well, Jordan, from now on, I'm going to keep praying that you're going to have a dream. I'm going to pray that God will encounter you in a dream, and that would be the wind of the Spirit in your life. And a couple months later, uh, Jordan had a dream that would be inappropriate to tell all of it because it, uh, it's very personal to the thing going on in his life. But at the very end of the dream, he's being chased by demons, and he's just about to be caught until he calls out in Jesus' name and gets saved. A few months later, or a few weeks later, he put his faith in Jesus because of that dream. It was his meant to be their moment. It was God's way of having to communicate to him because other things just wouldn't work. The sad part is now Jordan has walked away from the faith, and so I wrestle with God about what that means and continue to pray for him. But I think about how God can do that. Like, that's the surprising way that the Spirit moves. We don't know what it's going to do, what he's going to do, not it, what he's going to do. But he surprises us. And I hope that we can all point to periods of our life where we've been surprised by the Spirit and knew of God's presence. That is the mystery of the Spirit. Now I want to talk about the process of the Spirit, like how does the Holy Spirit move one person to faith? And I believe Jesus gives him this illustration to a Pharisee who would know this passage very, very well, and so the perfect thing for Jesus to say when communicating to Nicodemus, a Pharisee. The process of the Spirit. We've got fast motorcycles. Is that what, what's going on there? Lots of, lots of sounds. Okay, so the process of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to John 3. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you about earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. But just as Moses was lifted up on the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus, born again, wind, and now he's going to give him this illustration of a passage of scripture that he would have known as a Pharisee. One more illustration from Numbers chapter 21. Now, if you uh, watched the, that episode of The Chosen, you might have been confused by the very first scene, unless you knew the story, right? Uh, the, the, the very first scene, you see a guy just kind of building, <laughs> building something and uh, ironing something out. And that's the story that we're going to read right here. And trust me, Nicodemus would have known this story. I like the way actually in The Chosen they portrayed it. He said, remember that story? And Nicodemus says, yeah, yeah. And they kind of have a little dialogue about, yeah, I remember, I remember that story. It was found in Numbers chapter 21. It's a pretty bizarre story. So let's read it together. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route of the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and says, We've sinned. We've spoken out against the Lord and against you. Pray, to the, Lord, pray the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake. Put it up on a pole, and anyone who's bitten can look at it. 
So Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it up on a pole. When anyone was bitten by the snake and looked to the bronze snake, they were healed. Interesting story, right? Pretty bizarre story, but it's actually a perfect depiction of the process of the Spirit's work in our life. There's three scenes in this story. The first scene, the Israelites experience the miraculous stuff that all that God done, and then what do they do? They get to a place where they're complaining, they're miserable, they're cursing God, they're cursing their leader. That's what happens. Second scene, venomous snakes come, and then they realize what they've done, and the consequences of their actions, they cry out for forgiveness and ask for mercy and ask for an intercessor in Moses. And in scene three, Moses prays for the people, and God provides a way for their salvation, a way for them to be saved simply by looking to the snake. Do you see the parallel? Does that, does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> does that sound familiar to something that you believe? It does, right? Because that's the process of the work of the Holy Spirit, that it works in the same way in our lives today in these three scenes. The first thing we do is we see our sinfulness. First thing we do is see our sin sinfulness. Watch the way that the, the passage in Numbers matches what Jesus says in John chapter 3 when he's speaking to Nicodemus. Again, from Numbers, they traveled around Mount Hor, along the route of the Red Sea, to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and Moses. They said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. We detest this miserable food. They recognized they were very sinful. And this is what Jesus said later in that same passage with Nicodemus. Light has come in the world, but the people have loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. The first thing that the Spirit does is He has to reveal to us our brokenness, our sinfulness, that we have wandered from God, that we have cursed God, that we have turned our back on God. That's what the Spirit first reveals. That's the first step in leading someone to faith and seeing Jesus. The second is the process of the Spirit's work is to illumine our eyes to see our need for the Savior. This is that born-again experience, seeing our need for a Savior. Again, look at the Numbers passage compared to what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Then the venomous snakes came among them. They bit the people. And the people uh, said to Moses, we've sinned and spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord for us that the snakes will go away from us. Similarly, when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came to save. He's here to say, you need a savior. You need to put your faith in me. That's the second thing that the Spirit does in leading us to see Jesus and put our faith in him. We see our sinfulness. We see our need for a savior. And then the last thing, the third part that the Spirit does, is it gives us faith to simply believe. Do we simply believe? Again, from Numbers and going back to, to John. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made the bronze snake and he put it on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by the snake, they looked to the bronze snake. They just looked to it and they lived. Again, Jesus to Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The third thing that the Spirit does ultimately is it illumines our hearts to faith that we would look to the cross and we put our faith in Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the process of what the Holy Spirit does. And it's the process of what we see depicted in this conversation with Nicodemus or Nico, as his wife calls him, Nico and Jesus having this conversation and Jesus is trying to tell him, you need the Spirit's work to open your eyes to see me so that you would see your sins, see your need for a Savior, and you would put your faith in me. That's the work of the Spirit that Jesus wants to see in Nicodemus's life. It's the work of the Spirit and the same process of the Spirit, the mystery of the Spirit, the process of the Spirit is the same thing that God does for us. 
All of us who've come to faith have walked through those same paths. We came to a point where we recognized that we were sinful. We've recognized our need for a Savior, and then we've put our faith in Him by simply looking to Him, the one that was lifted up. That's the story that Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus. We're going to talk more about Him in just a second, but I want to give you a couple points of application here this morning. In closing, I'd like to consider, uh, talk to you, many of you or any of you here, I should say, who have not put your faith in Jesus yet. I'd just like to ask you to do it. <laughs> now could be the day. Today could be the day. Maybe the Spirit is mysteriously working in you right now and helping you see your sin and see your need for a Savior, that you would just look to Him and say, I put my faith in you, Jesus. And that, that moment, you can be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do anything. You don't have any repentance. You don't have to do anything but believe and look to Him, the one that was lifted up. Jesus is looking at you. If you've watched the episode of The Chosen, He's doing like He did with Nico. He's doing like He did with Matthew. He's looking straight at you and saying, follow me. I would just ask you guys to follow him if you haven't yet. Put your faith in him. I like that we pick up a little bit of Nico. We don't get a whole lot more of Nicodemus until the very end of John. Listen to what we read at the very end of John. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but, he sec but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier had visited Jesus, visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body, two of them, wrapped it with spices, strips of linen. This was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was Jewish day of the preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, we don't know definitively if Nico ever had his illumined eyes to see Jesus and put his faith in him. But this story sure makes me believe so. <laughs> you see him there after Jesus died. Do you think that he didn't recognize, oh my goodness, there's the snake. There's the one that was lifted up that I just need to believe in and I can be saved. You don't know for certain, but I believe that Nicodemus put his faith in Jesus. He was there to bury him and use his power to honor him in that way. If you've not yet put your faith in Jesus, look to him. Follow him. Secondly, I want to say to those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, what I want to encourage you to do is rejoice in your salvation. Like rejoice in it. Think back to the ways that the Spirit has worked in your life and the mysterious ways that he's worked and give thanks to God. Don't ever get prideful. You can slowly start to believe that you did something to deserve it or you found your own way. You didn't. You didn't. God came after you. And so rejoice in your salvation. Even as we sing songs here at the end, let your whole heart be in it to say, God, I praise you. You're the one who came after me. Rejoice in your salvation. And thirdly, I'd like to encourage you to be part of the Spirit's work in someone else's life. You know that God wants to use you? God wants to use you to be part of the Spirit's surprise in someone else's life. Like think about your friends and look to your friends that aren't yet following Jesus and look for ways to be one of the surprises of the Spirit in their life that they might come to follow Jesus with you. And the first thing you need to do, if you want that, is you need to start praying for them because it is a spiritual battle. And so you pray for the Holy Spirit to open their eyes and you keep praying and you talk to God about your friends more than you talk to your friends about God. And then he's going to open up opportunities for you to then be that surprise of the Spirit in their life. And you also need prayer. You need to pray for yourself that you'd be bold and look for opportunities and have the courage and the wisdom and the love of the Spirit to be that surprise in someone else's life. Those would be some things I think that we could apply here this morning.
Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.